Y'all, here we are. Here we are, uh, ladies and gentlemen and, and everyone. We are at the finale of season four of What It Happened Was, the, the end of our season-long sit-down with the one and only Quest Love. And wow, it really did take a lot to make this come together. So I want to send out a few giant shout-outs. Shout-out to Amir Questlove himself for his desire to even want to do this. Man, um, so I got to rap over one of Quest Love beats. Quest Love's beats. Um, it had to be like 2016 or 17. MC Paul Barman had me get on a song with him that happened to be produced by Quest Love. So shout out to MC Paul Barman. Um, and that was really the only direct connection to Quest Love I had outside of just being a fan. Um, and then I want to quickly tell y'all a story of how me and Quest Love actually met. It was South by Southwest. It had to be 2018 South by Southwest. Uh, me and Video Dave were going to do some shows out there. Um, a lot of it was centered around the announcement of the new Negroes with Comedy Central that me and Baron Vaughn working on at the time. So Comedy Central sent us out there to do a bunch of shows for South by Southwest. Um, it's either 18 or 19. I can't remember which year. But we're at the airport bar and we look over and we're like, hey, this motherfucking quest love over there. We're like, holy shit, that is Questlove. Um, on the other side of the bar. Um, and, you know, usually I would just kind of note something like that and keep it pushing. But then I thought about it like, oh, I kind of I got a song over one of his beats. So he's at least aware of me. I would assume that Paul Paul Barman had to clear this somehow. So I figured there should be at least some awareness there. Um, so that gave me the confidence to go say what up. So me and Dave go say what up to Questlove. Uh, Dapo, he's like, oh yeah, what up? Um, you know, some awareness, but it was all good. And then turns out we're all flying to Austin for South by Southwest. Turns out we're on the same plane. And because Comedy Central is sending me out there, I get to fly first class. And um, when I get on, uh, the person sitting one seat in front and to the right of me is Questlove himself. I'm like oh shit that's tight um so i'm sitting behind him so you know not much opportunity for interaction but you know so what up and another you know wink and a nod or whatever and then um two ladies get my attention um it is one actress jody foster <laughs> um and another woman who I don't remember her name, but they were asking me if I would switch seats with them, if I would sit in the seat that they were supposed to sit in so that they could sit together in this uh, in my seat in the seat that was next to me in first class. And then apparently the seat that Jodie Foster was supposed to sit in was the one next to Questlove. So I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll switch seats with you. And I told Questlove when I was switching seats, I said, hey, you know I'm about to bother the hell out of you, right? <laughs> um, so we switched seats. And I sit there and, you know, we say, you know, a couple of words to each other. But within five minutes of takeoff, Questlove is knocked the fuck out. I mean, us fast asleep like like he does this. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, well, OK, there goes all of that potential um, interaction. I was I was uh, looking forward to in my fortuitous seat placement. 
Uh, but it was all good though. But uh, while we're in the air, I was like, you know what? At the very least, I'm gonna see if see if uh, if he's down. Exchange number. So when we landed, and he woke up. That's what we did. That was all good. So I'm like, cool. All right. Well, you know, that was that was a little fun interaction. I get off the plane and I'm getting off the plane and I'm waiting for video Dave. And um, as I am sitting waiting for Dave, Questlove gets off the plane. He get, he got off after me, uh, and he walking towards me and i'm like eh, what's, what's this about and he's got a laptop in his hand i had left my laptop in the seat back pocket in front of me completely just left it and he saw it and he brought it to me thus saving my entire fucking south by southwest weekend all of the programming all of the show everything that i planned to do that weekend was very dependent on that laptop and I don't know, um, I don't know what the process would have been of me trying to get it back or when I would have even realized I didn't have it. Um, so that was a potentially averted disaster. Thanks to Questlove. But that's how me and him met was him saving my ass. And he is not lying when he says he was a fan of the podcast. He would text me about it um, going back to the first season and post about it on his enormous social media platforms uh way before we ever talked about him actually being on it and when i did decide to step to him about it he actually pitched me a very fucking incredible way to do it i can't reveal what he pitched uh we weren't able to bring that together but and i don't want to reveal it because someday if if uh him and i ever sit down again we might actually do it that way which would be awesome but needless to say when i read the pitch that he pitched me um it was a text and I was in a tour van. And when I read it, I almost busted through the ceiling of the tour van, uh, leaping in the air. And I showed the text to Dave and he almost jumped through the ceiling as well. Um, but just big shout out to Amir for, you know, being available and, and making the space and his very busy schedule to do this. And shout out to him for providing the beats to these intros for these episodes again from his infinitely creative mind um he was like oh we should do a new theme every episode and i was like hell yeah we should do a new theme every episode and then i realized i was not going to be able to do that at all as it would have driven me insane we got four though we got four intros we got one for each roots album we cover and it's continuing our tradition on what had happened was where every season we do an intro produced by the guest, and that is very cool. Um, and I want to give a huge shout out to super editor Rob Van Franken. Um, he's responsible for the brilliant drops and cutting and mixing in each episode. The man is truly a magician, um, and he tagged in this season in place of our former super editor, Jake Bowman, who held it down with his amazing work on the previous three seasons. Um, and I want to give a shout out to our distribution partners over at TalkHouse for the support. And uh, shout out to you for listening and tweeting and posting on Instagram stories and reposting clips and enthusiastically, enthusiastically letting folks know what we got going on over here. I cannot tell you how rewarding it is to see evidence of people enjoying these conversations as much as I do. Shout out to Stony Island Audio. That's this podcast network, home to the Dad Bob Rap Pod, Creativity and Captivity, stories about songs with Kevin Beecham, Super Duty, Tough Work with Blueprint and Illogic, The Fatherhoods Podcast, The Questions Hip Hop Trivia Podcast. And we got a whole podcast with the Roots Crew's own Dice Raw on the network called The Raw Report, if you like this Roots stuff. And with that, let's get into it. 
this is the finale episode 13 season 4 what is a soul query It's all, it's all about things fall apart, you know Like bad actors make scenes fall apart, you know Like poorly built machines fall apart this morning But then things unseen fall apart, hip-hop Since the first beat dropped in the park was sparked It's all facts, not shots in the dark, you know It's like best laid plans fall apart names But your one last chance fell apart, Big Bang The whole universe expanding apart, we be the last podcast standing apart, check. Prosecution, whole case fell apart, DJ. Turn up the bass, the whole place fell apart, Questlove. What had happened was state of the art cliffhangers. At the end, it can't wait till the start today. We're hearing all about things fall apart, Mikey. Under pressure 16, fall apart, shit. So, what had happened was part four, season four. Things fall apart. Just like that, just like they did right there. We'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least a hundred of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. So the day that I worked on um, the album intro. But we don't even come to see our own, man. Listen. This is musical backdrop. Funny story about this. It's a lazy Right So this music you hear in the background mm-hmm. This was like maybe Two weeks after D'Angelo had created the root for Voodoo And to be there To hear this thing get made He made it with Charlie Hunter My drums I went on the road And he's like yo yo you gotta hear what we did to it You gotta hear what we did to it And he plays it and I'm just like, shit. Charlie Hunter's playing, he's a guitar player that plays bass and guitar at random. So when you're hearing Spanish joint, he's playing the bass with his right hand and the guitar with his four fingers, maybe his thumb. I don't know, but I don't know how that happens. I don't know how he's playing bass tandem 
with the guitar at the same time. One one take through. And it was one of them days where Dilla was at the studio. We're back at Electric Lady in New York. And he plays it for us. He plays it for us maybe like three times in a row, right? Dilla leaves, heads immediately to LaGuardia, gets back to Detroit. Dilla calls me at one in the morning. And he's like, yo, man. He's like, that song fucked me up. <laughs> I said, dog, I'm on this record and it fucked me up. He's like, yo, yo, I want you to check out something. And he puts a phone to the speaker. And sure enough, he doesn't, D's not making us cassette copies. We're not making copies of this shit. We heard it three times. And Dilla had to run to the studio. Suddenly the drums. And I hear, and suddenly, and I'm like, wait, what happened? He's like, yo, man. He's like, I just hummed that, I hummed what I heard to myself on the way to the airport, the entire three hour flight home on my way. And I, I, I just had to get it out my head just get so I can keep hearing out it. of here. He nailed that shit verbatim. Dill is so good that you can't get jealous of him. Anyone else, I'm feeling some sort of way. Like, oh, you think you're better than us? But he was so good that you just instantly knew it was an honor for you. Like, I knew the only thing I couldn't call was his premature exit. But I knew at that point I'm going to be the Dilla historian, and I'm taking note of every historical moment that ever happens with this guy so there was never a casual moment i've ever had where it's just like i'm falling asleep and uh what you working on like i know i'm watching history every creative move he does i'm looking at every record he uses i'm looking at how he does it i'm everything i've i've noted everything so but i'm like i asked i said like, well, how did you remember that he says man i just i kept that song in my head until i got home and then got to my keyboard and figured out what he did and that's exactly what he did. I was like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> And it's 11 o'clock. I'm back in Philly. And I'm like, fuck. Like, why am I not that smart? Fuck. Hour later, I'm like, Dave Ivory, yo. I said, can you go to the studio? I got I to gotta try something. Like, I'm like, I got to try this. So this is, the first, this is the only time I pull some print shit where it's like, you know, you always hear the story, like, 3 in the morning, he calls me, he's like, get to the studio, I gotta do something. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm respectful of people's time and all that stuff, but I'm like, no. So I run to the studio, and I'm like, can I do that? Like, I'm on the route, I know the song well, Dylan only heard it three times. Can I do that? And I tried to do it, and it didn't work. So the way that I felt like a complete failure, like... I'm not I'm not at this Olympic level of beat making thing. So my thing is that if something is a fail, then maybe it could work backwards. Ah, that's how you got the intro music. So literally So I got the bass line. I mean that don't sound bad. You feel like it was a fail, though? Because it could, it just You know wasn't. what it was? So, there's a local 
furniture outlet in Philadelphia. <laughs> God, this is going to be really random to anybody that's my age in Tri-State. Uh, Big Marty's Carpets or whatever is like a furniture outlet. He has a, a very similar, like, uh, uh, prices Righty, melodic parallel to that song. So I think in my mind, I'm trying to remember what D'Angelo did. I'm fucked up that Dilla mirrored it exactly. And now furniture commercial from 1974 is entering my head. And no, was that the right chord? Was that the thing? Well, I know the bass line's right, but what about the, ah, fuck, ah, I'm a, I'm a failure. And so I gave up. And so at the very last minute, we were mastering on September 28th, 1998, which is a Quimini day. Love movement day. Now you caught my heart for the evening. Kiss my cheek moved in, you confused things. Should I just sit out or come harder? Help me find my way. Black Star Day. One, two, three. Most of the time, we came to rock it on to the tip top. Best alliance in hip hop. Brand new being Foundation Day. And Hard Not Life Day. From standing on the corners popping to driving some of the hottest cars New York has ever seen. For driving some of the hottest verses rappers ever heard. And most importantly, it is the great day in hip hop double XL photo shoot day. So the day that I'm going to master this album is that day. Wow. So the night before, I just decided to go to the studio to finish. I know I'm going to do five versions of this record. I decide I'm going to do a lot of uh, Easter eggs, like for the for the interludes and things like that. You know, on five different records, there might be like something that's slightly different and, you know, that sort of thing. Different hidden song at the end. Different hidden song? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So oh, we that hurts. <laughs> yeah. So those that have all five records will see all Easter eggs everywhere. And you know, I decided I was gonna do the Mo Better Blues thing alone, but nah, I need I need something musical and I just saw the act one I saw my failed uh root attempt from like months ago. I was like, uh put it on the reel backwards and I'll use that as the the thing. So there's that and the last thing, I went home, and then I was like, fuck, there's two more things we need. Okay, so there's one story I forgot to tell you. I forgot about Ain't Saying Nothing New. So as I explained earlier, the way the record cycle is, you have to turn your record three months ahead of time. So knowing that we have a February release, you got to turn your record in at least by November for parts and credits and all that stuff. But because this is a five-record thing, we have to get in line as far as the, the plants are concerned. So it's basically like MCA wants this record by, like, August. And it's already September, and we're losing our spot in the pressing plant to make this plan come alive. And so 
by this point, I'm feeling confident that we have a good record. And my publicist is like, okay, um, the source is going to come down to do a feature story. So automatically, I'm like, cover story, cover story. They're like, no, it's not the cover story. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> but I don't care. I want the lead review. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah. Even though I feel like this is a five mic record, I only want four and a half mics. We got our four and a half mics for Illadelph Half-Life, which was like, oh, the way that I celebrated. Because the first time around, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music got four and a half mics. And Do You Want More only got four. And now reverse. AT Aliens got four. And we got four and a half. So again, I'm just creatively, just just on small levels, I'm creatively, you know, competitive. And so in my mind, I'm like, this has to be another four and a half mic review record. And plus, they just got a five. They got a five for Equimini. So I'm like, all right, I'm coming with my five. And so they send they send the uh, the writer down, and I'm thinking like, it's going to be like one of the 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 A list tier writers. Is it Selwyn Hines? Is it going to be Ron and Roe? Is it going to be like the names that we know? And they're like, no, nah, it's it's uh, Kimisario. I'm like, who the hell is that? And she walked in. I was like, oh man, they sicked an intern on us. Like, oh man, what does she know about the roots? And it's and it's already I'm triggered. Because I got word, I think on the air, uh, if you know who uh, Minya O oh is, Mm-mm. Minya O oh is part of the original source, like Mind Squad. Like she's the one who gave Nas five mics. I see. Under the name of Shorty. And someone told me that they overheard her saying, like, you know, I don't get groups like the Roots. Like, you know, we got lumped into like the, they're one of them like cool Keith, ultra magnetic, like wordy. Basically, those fat beats, I see. underground. Backpacker type. Right. Not like Nas. Even though Nas is on that side of the thing, you know, whatever. Nas is cute or Method Man's cute. or And I'm not I'm not being sexist, reductive of saying like, well, you know, there is there's a certain type of rapper that attracts a particular demographic. And then we just get dismissed as like, uh, whatever. Those guys are just boring, ribbity rhyming yeah. people. But in my mind, I was like, uh, this is not the John Schechter of the source. I wanted a writer that I knew and that I studied. And so in my mind, I'm just like, and she didn't know much history about the group or any of those things. And I'm just like, oh, man, if she's doing our feature. <sighs> all right. Let me make a let me do a horse and pony show. So I was like, all right, Dave, put a fresh reel up. And. Scott happened to walk by. I said, ah, Scott, 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 come in. Where you headed? So go in the crib. I said, just give me like a half hour. Let's make a track real quick. And I'm just trying to, I at least want to control the narrative of what, if she don't know much about us, then I already know that you have to create the story that you want to read right. in the source. You basically have to write the narrative yourself. Right. And so instead of leaving it up to her, I'm like, all right, you're coming to Philadelphia and you're going to watch us make a track. 
And plus, I needed a song that was going to blend into Double Trouble because I didn't like the way that, without a doubt, sounded blending into, into Double Trouble. So I was like, I need a bridge song to connect. All right. So, I don't know. I just thought in my head, uh, let me make a... Uh, all right. Let me... What I'll do is I will uh, uh, make a song uh, based on Take It Personal. So I basically start, you know, you know, I was like, well, we start every song with the drums first. So. Boom. 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 Yeah, okay. Right. So just the drums wise, I'm like, so we start with drums first and then, you know, Scott then starts mm-hmm. playing. And then, you know, I was just trying to pull out every trick I knew. So then the the kalimba. That was from Double Trouble a week before. I grabbed the kalimba and, you know, did a mere one-on-one, you know, show tricks. Like, hey, put the reel backwards. And, you know, I'm singing backwards. You know, whatever. So so all of this, like, mm-hmm. is me talking backwards oh, and all that stuff. Oh, shit. Okay. I just wanted to make a demonstration song for her to write about and then send her on her merry way. Like, okay, I saved that feature. Again, Tariq just happened to come by the studio or something. Like, they work on anything. Oh, this song. Hey, I'll take that. And I didn't intend on Ain't Say Nothing New to be on the record. But here it is. Here's the thing, though. I still don't have something that leads me from without a doubt to ain't saying nothing new. I need a I need an interlude or something that 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 makes it. And so, time is of the essence. Um, I know that we have to get up to Harlem to to be on time for Gordon Parks's shot of the Great Day right, in Harlem. Right, right, right. And then I, as soon as that shot is done, I got to immediately run to Tom Coins to start mastering this record. But I need something that leads me from, without a doubt, to ain't this new song that, you know, ain't saying nothing new. And I called up Schooly D. And I was like, well, since we did Saturday night, you know, from your record, like an homage to Saturday night, then can you come down and do the, the tail end of that, which was like, some call it Chiba, some call it weed. It's the killer, it's the thrill, it's the thing you need. Chiba, Chiba, y'all, 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 y'all. Chiba, Chiba, y'all, y'all. Yeah, yeah. It's that Chiba, 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 y'all, Chiba, y'all. Some call it Chiba, some call it weed. It's a killer, it's a thriller, it's the thing that you need. It's a Chiba, Chiba, y'all, y'all. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, all right, can you get to the studio at nine in the morning? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> sure enough, no schoolie. 
And I'm like, well, fuck. Like, I need this interlude done in a timely fashion. And the engineer was like, well, you got a good voice. And I'm like, I didn't want to do nothing after You Ain't Fly. I was like, I don't <laughs> want my voice on it. You retired after You Ain't Fly. Yeah, so then maybe in like a half hour, I made this. Yo, I'm black. All right, so by the way, uh, for the, the Easter egg version of it, so one of those four, I believe the clean version of Things Fall Apart, same interlude, pitched up. Ain't that some shit. Which will be still be in the same key. This is fucking expertly crafted. Yeah, I'm just an Easter egg guy. And so I made that within like a half hour. We got on the road. This great day in Harlem shot with every... This is the first time that we're meeting rappers. On September 29th, 1988, an unprecedented gathering of hip-hop artists was held in Harlem's 126th Street. Organized by XXL Magazine, the event came in the shadow of the deaths a few years before of the notorious B.I.G. and Tupac Shakur. Hip-hop was in need of healing, and a photograph taken by the legendary Gordon Parks became part of that process. As soon as we got out the car, Rakim runs up to Tariq. It's like, yo, thought, you are my favorite MC. Come on, man. And it's 1998. Did he play it cool? Did Thaw play it cool? I mean, he was just like, <laughs> we were just, because this was the exact opposite of what life was before. Right. And we're literally, the first time, like, yo, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, yo, oh my God, Fat Joe, yo, Bone Thugs and Harmony, yo. Da-da. Like, we're just meeting them all. And, you know, and shout out to Sheena Lester. I was like, all right, based on reading Vanity Fair foldouts, let me know which one's the cover. He's like, stoop number two. So I like <laughs> immediately <laughs> ran up to stoop number two and just stayed there. I was like, I'm being on the cover That's of Double XL. So God damn it. So when it was over, we went to Tom Coins. I mastered and sequenced five versions of this record and then came up with a crazy idea. That um, I heard that Radiohead did this thing where to prevent bootlegging of their uh, the album before Kid A, uh, okay, okay computer. computer, they uh, sealed their cassettes and CDs inside of a Discman. So since Universal had stake in a like a Walkman company, I was like, well, let's just t- get two hundred Walkman and we'll crazy glue all the Walkman together, make sure it's auto reverse. And this is how the press is going to listen to the record. But, of course, the press would just take the, the Walkman and <laughs> crash. crash it to the ground. And, <laughs> yeah, I got you, you know, your tape. And so pretty much the, the stars were aligned. And it came out February 23rd, the night that Lauren won all those Grammys. And we were just really in a great space as a band, as a unit. Like, the magic's working. Like, I'm asleep and listening to modern commercial radio and i hear you got me like six times a day and 
you know, we there's a gold plaque. There's a platinum plaque? What? Like a million people collectively agreed to listen to this shit? <laughs> and pay for it, too. Yeah, and it's just like, it just it just kept happening. And then, like, you know, and then Voodoo came out, and then Mama's Gun came out, mm. and then, like, Black Star, like, like all these records. Like Water for Chocolate, yeah. Yeah, well, like Water for Chocolate's coming out, and it's like the movement. Yeah. Everything's working. And then Vibe Magazine approaches me and says, hey, you know, we want to do a feature on you because, like, you're connected to all these movements or whatever. And oh, I know what this me is. Me being in my smallness, I was just like, look, man, it's not about me. It's about the family. It is. Like, let's, I mean, all, let's all do it together and da-da-da-da-da. So, you know, that issue, that Dr. Dre Eminem issue, in the beginning, it's the roots with the Philly family because, you know, Jill Scott's record's coming out. So there's that, and, you know, she's... Uh, you know, t- taking photos with us, and then pages later is that Soul Quarians photo. Yes, it is. And then the issue comes out, and then everybody, man, like, what's a Soul Quarian? I'm I'm not a Soul Quarian. Like, I was born in March. And okay, so it was it wasn't necessarily supposed to be like a coming out for a branded well. You know, my, the thing was, I was trying to not make it, a, even though I was in the eye of many storms, part of my narrative is just deflecting praise and deflecting being singled out. So I just told them, like, there's a bigger story if you do it about this unit and we're all working together. We didn't know what to call the thing, you know, but we, you know, me, James and Dilla were like, hey, we're all born in January and February, so we're the Soulquarian. So it was like the Soulquarian sound, but... You know, most definitely objected to that, and Tip objected to that, and <laughs> Erica objected to that, and it was a sore spot. And when that photo came out, that was the end of the movement. Damn! It felt like the beginning! Whenever a movement comes, it's the end. Saturday Night Fever should be the beginning of Disco's Rise. No, that's the, the end. end. Thriller, that's the end. Woodstock, that's the end. Purple Rain, that's the end. You know what I mean? Like, whenever something gets declared, flag planting, no, it's actually the end of the sentence. Damn. Is the Midnight Marauders the end of the natives? That cover? You know what? I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, yes. Because really, in my mind, I felt the end was coming with Blue Mind State. Yeah, of course. But of course, as with De La Soul is Dead, like, three months later, Tribe's like, nope. Watch these numbers, son. <laughs> and essentially, yes, that that marked the end of it. So, no, no, I mean, we still like toured with each other and fucked with each other, and we made follow up records. But I will say that by the time when we got to Electric Circus, then the perception was like, "You killed Common Amir." The the truth is really MCA was imploding, and he released a record. And two weeks later, there was no more label. So they couldn't, they couldn't work it. Yeah, they didn't work it. Because I all. love that album. Dude, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. My eyes watch God from a place where times is hard, hard times we embrace. Everybody want a yard, cause the yard means space. Being broke is odd, it leaves the odd taste in the mouth of the metropolitan. The hustle is hollering, beautiful mind. And it took years, decades to go by for people to really be unanimous. I was always uh, on board for that. Nah, man, y'all thought I ruined that shit.
the moment when I really felt it was over, um, and I talk about this a lot, is I felt like my funeral was Dave Chappelle's block party. Check it out, talk party people, gather around. What we have here's a brand new sound. Reach for the way y'all hitting the ground. Better dunk with us, don't split in a glass of gold. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that's what's happening in a broken yard. This is when I knew it was over. So, you know, like, we're in Brooklyn, and, you know, Dave is red hot. Dave is, like, at the, at, at just... Chappelle's show is peaking. Yeah, like, this is prime Rick James bitch. Like, he's, he's God at this moment. What is the five fingers? Say to the face! <laughs> what? Slap! So there's a charged energy in the air, and it's sort of like, you know, because in the beginning, my management was like, well, you do realize that this is our movement getting carjacked. Like, this is the jam sessions that we put together that's now, but I was just like, yo, man, we're this is being the moment. Like, this is good, so we're like, all right, we'll play ball. So we're there, and then we're sound checking. So pretty much, like, the crowd is kept at bay, like, four blocks down, but they can faintly see like while we're like sound checking and all that stuff and kanye has to come in on uh uh he came in uh teeterboro private jet because he's opening for usher on the confessions tour his album is about to come out wow so the buzz on through the wire and all that stuff like all that buzz is about to this guy's about to be big and then suddenly the chaos and pandemonium from four blocks away, once they re- once they see that's Kanye and John Legend, like just sound checking. It was such a charged energy of of the Beatles on Sullivan level that none of us ever got before. And he was literally there just to do his part, and then he had to leave and take a flight back out to Usher to do the Confessions tour. And I don't know. I was like, wow, like, hmm, that's, uh, wow, maybe this is the end of the movement. Because another thing that was happening was, like, I was working on B. I got about a good six songs in that I thought were cool. But it was sort of, it was the, it was the triggering of the stench of I ruined common. Maybe we should go where the heat is. So when now you it's like, Kanye. hey, man, look, man, bro, like, we're going to let Kanye, like, take this around with Take the anchor. Memories on corners with the foes in the molds. Watch out the store for the rose. Talking straight forward to hoes. Got uncles that smoking. Some put blow up their nose to cope with their lows. The wind is cold and it blows. 
In they socks and they soles, niggas holding they rolls. Corners leave souls open to close, hoping for more, with nowhere to go. Niggas rolling in droves, they shoot the wrong way, cause they ain't knowing they goes. The streets ain't safe, cause they ain't knowing the cold. And Kanye basically, you know, he's like, well, you know, Dill is coming with me and James Boyce is coming with me and Moses is coming with me. Everybody but you. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just like, I was, it was like the end of the Flintstones where the the dinosaur uh, kicks Fred out of his own crib. (laughs) (laughs) That day I knew this was the last time that we were all going to be together. I just knew that, like, this is the end of a movement. We got to figure out what we're going to do, you know, because we we caught a lot of shots for the tipping point, like our lowest. A new guard had come in, a guard named Pitchfork, you know, with these with these like he's hip with these college hipster, educated hipster yeah. white guys that don't exactly look like they're hanging in the neighborhoods of the music that they're championing, right? Like, wow, you're such a cocaine rap enthusiast, but you... You live in Williamsburg. Yeah, I'm like, how does that happen and stuff? So, and I feel like part of ripping down the roots was basically burn the emperor's old clothes and whatever the old guard like. And that was sort of the thing. Like, And someone from Pitchfork called it out. Like, well, the roots are the group that white people that don't like hip-hop like. And so, I don't know, man. we just took our ball, went home, and, uh, you know, it was a good run. But I, I knew that that movement was was over in 2004. Well, speaking of over, our time is just about What a way to end the series. End. But this is the thing. This is the thing, right? This is the end of what I consider to be probably our, our first time together. Maybe down the line. We can get another round in and unpack the rest. Yeah, there's so much I mean, other stories I mean, to tell. I mean, because obviously a lot happened <laughs> between 2004 and now. Yeah, 2023. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right, there's, right. There's, there's a ton. There's there's Fallon. I, I, there's I multiple, an Oscar. Yeah, fuck, I like. forgot about that. Multiple <laughs> cannons. Yeah, and then it ended, I won an Oscar. So. Exactly. <laughs> but I, but I, do think, I do think it was important to zoom in on this era and really talk about these first four albums. And how they set the table for everything that was to come. And yeah, man. Before we shut down, I just quickly want to say, because there's a lot of people that we talked about who are no longer with us. Mm-hmm. So rest in peace to Dilla. Rest in peace to Rich. Yes. Rest in peace to Malik, Malik B. B. Right. And rest Hub. in peace to Leonard Hubbard. Yeah, I just definitely absolutely. want to make sure we poured out some verbal liquor for them because they live in these stories, but they're no longer with us. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anything else you want to leave people with? What I want to leave people with, uh, for those that, I, I would imagine that if you're listening to this podcast and you're putting up with the insane amount of, of wordplay and hours that we've put in my voice and <laughs> telling these stories. I think they, they want it real bad. <laughs> then I would say nine times out of ten, you are some sort of creative. So for me, I will say the full circle moment in life for me that's brought me to the place where, yes, we're now making music that has me extremely excited um, if and this is not my Scooby Doo ending, if it weren't for that pesky Oscar, you would have been had the Seventeenth Roots album. Um, but I I didn't see the the Oscar coming into you know my plan was like okay let me put this this movie together and it will be done in like three four months and then I can get ready on the record and we're almost done and then 
I have a new life. So I will basically say that um, there was a sort of creative funk I was in in 2004 once like I got kicked out my own or at least me I kicked myself out of my own movement and then kind of the, the the absence of a lot of you know D'Angelo taking 14 years between records and all that stuff and then on top of that um you know just really like the death of Dilla made me not want to create music anymore and you know I just when I got to make Summer of Soul because I made it with the same mind state that I made organics or that I did with the same mind state that I did those South street jam sessions, sessions which was like, Oh, this is going to be fun. Like I, there's no way if you would have told me, if someone had told me, okay, look, you don't know this, but these 40 hours of footage that you got, this is going to result in an Oscar, which is then going to result in you directing anything you ever wanted to direct. And, now running a movie empire, like this whole other narrative that I'd never dreamed for myself, then I probably would would have gotten in my own way and figured out a way to sabotage it and got in my own head and all the all the writers block and freezing and holding up time. Because the all stakes this. would have been too high. Yeah. And instead I realized that this is Summer Soul was the first product I made without thinking about, hey, how many mics am I gonna get? I wonder what my rotten tomato score is going to be i wonder what my box office is going to be. and you you don't have to wonder if the mcs in the next room are gonna like it right it's just i did it for fun clearly i'm certain people as you see with every episode he has like page after page after page of questions mm -hmm. i probably let you get all the two <laughs> questions out so it's clear that i'm a storyteller a natural born griot you know what i mean but so, you have to have led the life you led to have the stories that you have which are fucking incredible. Yeah, so I, I I just say to people who are creatives, and I won't say I squandered, I spent a lot of, of my creative time in my brain, defensively, fighting for this and losing sleep about my rating and, and survival and getting on the radio and da 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 and managing people's expectations. And you can't create like that. You got to do what's really in your heart and... You know, mistakes, you got to have a great relationship with mistakes. That's real. And and get a new version for the F word. I don't say failure. I say, what's the lesson? I What's what's the teachable lesson? Right. Okay, that didn't work. I now know that didn't work. So the opposite of what just happened should happen, you know. So that's, that's what I, I want people to know, that if you're creative, that's where the pureness of it. You have to, it has to come from your heart and your gut. You have to love this shit, not just blah, blah, blah is hot or I'm going to make money off this shit. So we see where that leads us. Anybody who ever overachieved in this business, they're dead. So unless you're so nihilist that you don't envision a future for yourself after 43, 44, 57, 58, 59, you know, if you truly are saying, yeah, when, you know, when I, when I'm 90 years old and my grandkids, you got to do shit in your heart. Because when you get into that fight or flight, getting your own head, getting in your own way, taking failure bad, now you have to self-soothe and start drug habits yeah. and lying to yourself. That's that's where that's where the downfall starts. So that's what I want people to take away. Well, um, just for somebody who, like I said, you know, recited silent street treatment in my sophomore year choir class to writing a paper about proceed to in my f freshman college English class. Mm -hmm. uh, 
just want to say that regardless of the factors that were going on in your life and the things that you were fighting against and, and you and your cohorts, the things y'all made really, truly inspired people. So thank you. Thank you for what you've made. Thank you for being willing to talk about it. And thank you for sitting here and accepting these motherfucking flowers. <laughs> Eight flowers. Wait, <laughs> man. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm used to this now. So thank you, man. And with that, we say peace. <laughs> <laughs>